The unfortunate fruit of sin. Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad, and Irad fathered Mah. Mahujael and Mahujael fathered Methushael and Methushael fathered Lamech and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore uh, Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. 
And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. A few years back, the Chicago Tribune carried a news story. It was a, uh, a news brief that began. It said, a Texas mother was so intent on making sure that her daughter made the cheerleading squad that she was willing to hire a hitman to kill the competitor's mother, police said on Friday. The woman's hope was that her daughter's 13-year-old competitor would be so overwhelmed with grief by her mother's death that she would drop out of the competition for the cheerleading spot. Detectives said that at first the woman plotted to hire a hitman to kill both the girl and her mother, but decided that the price on the double murder was too steep. She opted instead for the girl's mother to be killed and paid $2,500. Unbelievable. But folks, we shouldn't be too surprised by that, should we? You know, the 20th century stood as an unrivaled century of violence. And the 21st century is getting underway as being no better. For all of our technology that we have and for all the advancements that we have in modern day society, man is more brutal and more heartless than ever. It doesn't surprise me anymore to read some of the stories in the news that we find uh, today. Well, here in Genesis chapter 4, homicide comes center stage. Now, we saw last week at what the results of sin were. After Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God confronted them on their sin, and God pronounced judgment on the first man and the woman. And what were some of those judgments on sin? I hope you recall. It's just been a week, right? So what were, what were some of the judgments that we saw on sin? Separation from God. Okay. Uh, work that was to be joyous and productive, God said to, to Adam, now you're going to have to labor by the sweat of your brow and the earth's not going to yield for you the way it did, but it's, it's going to yield uh, thorns and thistles and, and weeds. Okay. So, Child pain and childbearing. What else? Banned from the garden. Okay. Uh, God told uh, Eve, your desire is going to be for your husband. That is, you're going to desire his place of headship in the home. But he's not going to let you have it. He's going to rule over you. And the word for rule is a negative word. Dominance. So the battle of the sex is beginning, right? Sin 
Yes, exactly. Yes. So, uh, even chapter 3 began to record for us the consequences of sin. The unfortunate fruit of sin. Chapter 4 continues that. Chapter 4 builds off of that. Now the chapter opens with Adam and Eve fulfilling the command that was given to them back at the end of chapter 1. And what was that command? That they were to multiply. They were to fill the earth. They were to procreate and have children. And so we see them beginning in chapter 4 to do that. And notice what Eve says. She says that she has gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now there are several things about her statement that I want you to understand. First I want you to remember back to Genesis chapter 3. God promised that the seed of the woman would smash the serpent's head. Remember that? So no doubt Eve thinks that this promise is already being fulfilled now with the birth of Cain. Now that's not what's taking place. Because that promise in chapter 3 of course. Is the promise that is fulfilled only in Jesus Christ. But Eve thinks that God has already given them this child of promise. How disappointed she's going to end up being. Because instead of giving birth to one who would be the Messiah, she has given birth to a killer. So she can end up disappointed. Well, secondly, she properly recognizes that her child is a gift from God. Folks, the Bible says children are a blessing from God. They may not always seem like a blessing from God, but they are a blessing from God. Now, we know grandkids are a blessing from God, right? We know grandkids are, but children are too. And the Bible says, happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. The quiver being what would, what would hold the errors for your bow and arrow. Well, we're told that, that once again she gives birth to a second son. She names the second son Abel. And his name literally has within it the meaning that there is going to be a lack of permanence to his life. And so there's a prophetic element to his name. Now we're told that Abel was a herdsman. And Cain was a farmer. Both sons have different careers. Nothing wrong with either line of work. Both are noble. Well, in the course of time, what do both of them do? Both of them bring an offering to the Lord. And we're told here that God had regard for Abel's offering, but he did not have regard for Cain's. Now, you'll find different writers speculating in different ways about this. And one of the answers that you will read oftentimes is that Abel's offering involved a blood sacrifice 
and that Cain's offering did not. And this is the reason why Cain's offering was rejected. Now, folks, that sounds wonderful on the surface because we know the Bible is going to later say that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But now we're not told yet anyway in the text that that's the reason. If it was the reason because Abel's involved blood and Cain's did not, then it must mean that God had a private conversation with Cain and Abel that we're not told about. And Abel obeyed the Lord and Cain didn't. But again, we're not told that in, in, in the text here. Later on, God will com command not only offerings to be given of animals, but over in the book of Leviticus, what other kinds of offerings are going to be commanded? Grain offerings, food offerings, fruits and vegetables. And so... I don't think it's simply because Cain's was an offering of the soil that it was bad. Because again, God's going to command such offerings to be given to him. The text itself implies something else was going on here. From what God says to Cain in verse 7... Cain's heart was not right in giving the offering. And also the book of Hebrews is going to chime in on this too, right? And so we're not left to guesswork. We're not left to speculation. Because Hebrews is inspired scripture. And what does the book of Hebrews say that the difference was? Between Cain's offering and Abel's. It was by faith, yes. Abel's offering was offered in faith. Apparently Cain's was not. So again, it might have been the, the factor of, of blood. Had there been some private conversation between God and the, and the two boys that we're not aware of. I'm not saying that that wasn't involved. I'm just saying that the text at this point doesn't tell us that. But what the Bible does tell us is that Cain's heart was not right. And that Abel's offering was given in faith. Now folks, that says something to us about what we are to do. We aren't simply to give our offerings to God, but we're to give our offerings out of the right motive and with the right heart condition, right? It's not just the doing of the offering that is commended but the doing with the right motive, with the right faith, with the right attitude. Now I want you to also notice something else that was not right about Cain. Look at verse 6. 
Let's read verse 6 again together. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Instead of repenting, Verse 6 tells us that Cain was angry. Apparently he was angry at God. Now isn't that like a lot of people? Instead of doing right and instead of repenting when God calls us out on something, what do people tend to do? People want to get mad. They even want to get mad at God. And so here's Cain. Cain is getting angry at God and by his face falling, he's pouting. He's angry at God and he's pouting instead of repenting. And so God asked him, why are you angry? If you will do right, will you not be accepted? In other words, Cain, the only person that you have to blame is yourself. Cain, why are you mad at me? Why are you angry at me? And Cain, why are you pouting? Just do right. And if you'll just do right, You'll be accepted. Sure. Sure. Right. And and that's why Abel's was accepted. Right. Exactly. Oh yeah. He knew what he should have done. And he didn't do it. Yes. And, and that's implied in the text too by, by what? There's something specific in the text that implies what Joyce is saying. What is it? That Abel gave what? Of the first fruits and of the fat portions which were highly desirable. So yes, Abel not only gave out of faith and with the right motives and the right heart, but he also gave the best. Apparently Cain just gave leftovers or he gave, Cain gave what he wanted to define as giving to God. And isn't that what a lot of people today want to do in giving to God? I'll give to God what I want to give to Him other than, rather than what God says. And that's not faith. But again, uh, God is saying to, to Cain here in verse 6, just do right. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But then read on in verse 7. Look at what God says to him in in verse 7. At the end of it, he says, If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. 
Wow. I want you to think about what God is saying there. Right here we have the anatomy of temptation, don't we? The anatomy of temptation. Sin is being described like a wild, vicious animal that's stalking you. It's crouched at your door. It's ready to pounce. But you must rule over it. In other words, you don't have to succumb to every temptation that comes your way. Yes, you and I are sinners by nature and by choice. And if we deny that we're sinners and that we have sin, then John says in 1 John that we are liars And we've made God out to be a liar because God has pronounced that we are sinners. But while we are sinners by nature and by choice, it would be wrong to assume that you will always have to sin in every situation. You are not some helpless little person who has no responsibility whatsoever over your actions. God is telling us, just like Cain, while sin is crouching at your door, you must get a handle on it. And through Christ, we can get a handle on it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives us the blueprint of how to deal with temptation, doesn't he? When Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus gives us the road map. Because regardless of how things looked and how attractive something might have been, what Jesus do? He fell back on God's word. Yes, he could have turned the stones into bread. Yes, he could have had all the kingdoms of the world. Yes, the father would have sent his angels to watch over him. But in each and every case, that would have been breaking God's law, God's word. And so Jesus fell back on God's word even when another way would have been more expedient to human eyes anyway. You and I, we need to confess our sin. We need to lean on God's word. We need to ask the Lord for strength. And something else we need to do, we need to remove ourselves from the temptation if possible, right? I want you to understand tonight, sin will tear you to shreds like a wild animal if you let it. What sin do you need to master? What sin is in your life that you need to get a handle on? You need to deal with that. Is there some sin or some resentment that you are nursing? That's dangerous. If you don't allow yourself to be mastered by the Lord, then you will be mastered by the devil. 
Now, I want you to notice Cain's response. Instead of getting a handle on the sin that was crouching at his door, he came up with the scheme. What's he doing here? He's adding sin to sin. He is going to be guilty of nothing short of premeditated murder. Instead of doing right and repenting, his anger is turned toward his brother. He had the same opportunity to do right just like Abel had. And yet not only did he not do right, but now he's going to kill his brother because his brother did right. What we see here is how sin progresses. It's like quicksand. I bet Adam and Eve had no idea when they took of that forbidden fruit where that was going to lead. They had no way of knowing how bad things were going to be. But this is their new reality because they've disobeyed God. Their sin is alive and well in their son's heart and it's going to get Worse and worse and worse. John also adds in 1 John that Abel was righteous and Cain was unrighteous. Here we have two brothers in, in their own way, the same as far as being of the same family... And yet one is of the seed of the woman and the other is of the seed of the serpent, so to speak. Here is the enmity between God and the devil and those who belong to God and those who belong to the devil. The two ways, the way of the Lord and the way of the devil is being played out here in the human family. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because the carnal man can't stand to be in the presence of the spiritual man. Cain murders his brother. Now we're not told how he does it. Did he smash his brother's head in with a rock? Did he strangle him? Did he find some kind of instrument to stab him with? I don't know. We're not told. Folks, when murder is in a man's heart... He doesn't need a gun. He doesn't need a knife. He'll find a way. Evil men will always find a way to kill. If it's not from a gun, it'll be from a bomb. If not from a bomb or a or gun, it'll be a knife or it'll be a vehicle or it'll be a plane as we know all too well in our society today. Or it might just be somebody's bare hands that they use. Murder, when murder is in somebody's heart and somebody is determined to kill another person they will find a way to do it you can't outlaw all the ways that men could have to kill somebody they'll just find some other way that's what lib that's what liberals don't understand they don't understand that it is the heart of man that's wicked it is the heart of man that's corrupt Evil men will find a way to commit 
their deeds of unrighteousness. You can't legislate all the ways to keep wicked men from doing that. They're going to find a way. I think of what Paul says over in Romans chapter 1. When men suppress the truth of God. Paul says over in Romans chapter 1. Listen to just verses 28 and 29. Romans chapter 1 verses 28 and 29. Paul says there, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, of evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, They're gossip, slanders, haters of God. Why does man act like this? What's Paul saying? Because we have suppressed the truth of God and chosen our own way. That's the problem. The problem is the heart of man. Man is corrupt. Man needs redemption. Nothing short of redemption is going to end up helping us in the long run. Amen? Now, God immediately knows what Cain has done. God knows all things. You can't hide your actions from God. Now, I want you to think of the coldness in Cain's response to God. When God says, where's your brother? Think of the coldness here. Here he is, he's just killed his brother, and he says to God, am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer to that? Yes, yes you are. He wants to pretend that he is not responsible for his brother. He's just taken his brother's life. He's murdered his brother. And yet he kind of, he wants to act like he's not responsible. True story. A woman was raped and murdered some years ago on the streets of New York City. 30 people watched her being raped and murdered. Nobody raised a finger to do anything to help. When the investigation was done and, and they asked those people, why, why didn't they do something? Why, why didn't they try to intervene? You know what they said? She wasn't, our, she wasn't my responsibility. I didn't know her. I didn't know her. She wasn't my responsibility. I didn't want to get involved. Sin. Sin. You see, the Bible also talks about the way of Cain. The way of Cain. For instance, in the book of Jude. The Bible doesn't talk just simply about Cain but talks about the way of Cain and how people today continue to do to go the way of Cain. In that sense, Cain is alive and well, unfortunately. 
There's murder all around us. There's evil all around us. And and then some people also want to try to act like they're not responsible for anybody. The way of Cain abounds, sadly. Now what God does beginning in verse 11 is to judge Cain. Mark it down, God always judges sin. And as part of the judgment, Cain is to become a restless wanderer. Now folks, what did Cain deserve? Cain deserved death. Because later on, after Noah steps off the ark, what does God say is to happen to a man if he sheds the blood of a man in murder? What's to happen to the man? He's to, be mur- he's to be killed. It won't be murder in that case. It'll be just death. Why? Why did God put such a, a high judgment on murder of human life? It goes back to what we saw in Genesis 1. What do we see in Genesis 1 about man? He's made in the image of God. The sanctity of life because he's made in the image of God. And so where there is murder, the murderer is to be put to death. Now, by the way, incidentally, the New Testament does not undo that command. It doesn't undo the command of of capital punishment. And so that is what Cain deserved. So in that sense, you'd have to say that God even extends some grace to a killer like Cain, who killed his very own brother. And and look at the way Cain bellyaches in verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Do you feel sorry for Cain? No. He's whining. He's just killed his brother. He deserved death. God's letting him live. Yes, there's going to be punishment. He's going to be a wanderer. But he's whining. God, I can't take this punishment. It's it's just too much what you're doing to me. You almost wish God, when, when Cain said, anybody who finds me, they're going to they're gonna kill me. You almost wish God would have said, you know what, Cain, you're exactly right. Anybody who finds you, they're going to kill you. And Cain, you know what, that's exactly what you deserve. But God is gracious even to Cain. Cain goes out and he settles in Nod, which means wandering, the land of wandering. He settles in the land of wandering. And we're told that Cain knew his wife and she gave birth to a a son. What What do people ask all the time? Where did Cain get his wife? Well, turn over to chapter 5. Turn over to chapter 5. Look at verse 4. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. 
many kids do you think you could have in 930 years? Of course, before any days of birth control, how many kids could you have in 930 years? And then those kids would have kids, and those grandkids would have kids, and those great-grandkids would have kids. You say, did they marry their siblings? Yes. Now, folks, let's remember as sin permeated through the gene pool, more and more, God eventually would forbid this. He would forbid intermarriage within families. But at this point, the gene pool would not have been as corrupted. By the way, that's why you read in the Bible at this point that lifespans were so long. Apparently, Adam and Eve were created initially to not die. But once they sinned, and sin entered the gene pool, and then death ultimately... But, but generation after generation after generation, the gene pool would have gotten more and more corrupted, more and more corrupted, more diseases, more abnormalities would have come into the gene pool to where even lifespans started, started getting shorter and shorter. But initially, that was not the case. And so, yes, Cain would have married a relative. And then what's Cain do next? What are we told he does in the land of Nod? He builds a city. Now, in the Bible, you see sin increasing in the cities. The cities in the Bible were just like today where people clustered together and you get sinful people clustering together what else is going to multiply sin where sinful people populate together sin itself will multiply you see, Cain's descendants mentioned here also who made, who made great accomplishments. But while they were making great accomplishments and while they were advancing, they couldn't manage themselves. They were managing things. They were building cities. They were, they were forming musical instruments and different kinds of ways of building. They were managing all these things, but they couldn't manage themselves. Isn't that true of man? We get more and more advanced, more and more technology that we develop. And yet modern man doesn't seem to be able to manage himself. Sad, isn't it? It really is. For convenience, of course, people move to cities. You understand why people do that. That's no mystery. But cities have their problems. 
because of the clusters of people in the cities, what do you find the apostles doing in the New Testament? Taking the gospel to the cities. Why? Because that's where the people are. And so you have the letter to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to the Thessalonians, to the Colossians, so forth and so on. These population centers. You you see the apostles taking the gospel to these population centers. Folks, if we're going to reach our nation today and our continent and the world, where have we got to take the gospel to? To the cities. It's why our North American Mission Board has designated 32 leading cities in North, across North America. And, and our North American Mission Board right now is trying to do church planting in those 32 metropolitan areas. Why? Because that's where the people are. Even if you grew up in a city, though, I, I hope you have some appreciation for the country, right? I grew up in Charlotte. My first church out of seminary uh, was Boone's Mill, Virginia, a bedroom community to Roanoke, Virginia. Best of both worlds. It was farming country, apple orchards and dairy cows, and yet we were only 15, 20 minutes away from, from Roanoke. So kind of the best of both worlds. The uh, back bay window on the parsonage overlooked the Blue Ridge Parkway. Just gorgeous. Um, I really developed a love for the country there. I love, I love countryside now. So I hope you do too, even if you grew up uh, in, in a city. But anyway, here they are building these cities, all kinds of accomplishments, all kinds of inventions. But apparently while they're making all kinds of inventions, they're also inventing new ways to sin. Now look at verse 19. What's uh, Lamech do? Marries two wives. Polygamy. You see what's happening? Sin. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, what do we have? Adam and Eve. One man, one woman. And when Jesus was asked in Matthew 19 about marriage and divorce, what did Jesus do? Jesus carried the Pharisees back to the beginning, to Genesis 1 and 2. One man, one woman. That's what God created marriage to be. But here we have polygamy. So what's going on here, folks? What's happening? Sin. Sins just getting worse and worse. And then what's Lamech do next? What's he end up doing? He kills a, a young man for just simply wounding him. 
And so what's he doing here? He's taking vengeance. In fact, he's wearing vengeance like a badge of honor. And so again, what we're seeing at this point in in Genesis, we are seeing the line of Cain. And what is the line of Cain doing? They are sinning and they're sinning more and they're sinning more and they're sinning more. Sin is becoming a way of life for the line of Cain. Have you ever noticed how in some families it's like there is no one righteous? There's some families you look at and you, you, you're hard-pressed to even find a Christian in, in some families. You can look at parents and children and sibling after sibling and kids and grandkids and all that. And, and you might look at some families and it's like there's, there's not a believer in, a, in the whole bunch. That's how Cain's family line is at this point. But I want you to notice that chapter 4 ends on a bright note. God gives Adam and Eve a son in place of Abel. And he too has a son. And what does it say happens? Men begin to call upon the name of the Lord again. Cain's descendants are pioneering cities, but Seth's descendants are pioneering worship again. Amen? Huge contrast between Cain and his descendants and Seth and his. Now, when it says men began to call on the name of the Lord again through, through Seth's descendants, this will end up being the only hope for men because through Seth's descendants, who will come into the picture? Noah. Noah. Through Seth's descendants, Noah. And so the world doesn't realize it yet, but the only hope for civilization is men who call upon the name of the Lord. Right? The world doesn't realize it today, but the church being salt and light, the world doesn't realize how much it needs the witness and the presence of Christians.